But we're continuing our brand new series called Triggered, and today you're going to hear from Ricky Echiona. But before we hear from Ricky, check out this quick video. Hey, Phil. I I don't think that's a very good attitude. You can't talk about hurting other players. You don't think? You You don't think? But I don't think you should be butting in when I'm talking to my team. You're my assistant, okay? You're supposed to back me up and go get me juice boxes when I tell you. Now go get me a juice box. You know who you're talking to? I'm talking to the juice box guy. You're crazy. Well, I'm not crazy. I'm just thirsty. Why don't you go to No, you go to While you're there, why don't you grab me a juice box? I'm no juice box boy, I'll tell you that. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. You're like your old man. I'm not like my old man. If it weren't for these kids, I would whip your butt. I can take a punch. I'm out of here. Bye-bye. I'll see you. Mr. Big Time Coach. Bye-bye. I'm not like my old man. I'm a kind and gentle, compassionate human being with a heart as big as a lion. And that's me as a dad slash coach. I'm sort of joking, but it's kind of true. I got a chance uh, last this past spring to coach my daughter's t-ball team. And I don't think there's anything more triggering than trying to teach uh, kids under six how to play uh, baseball. Uh, I got thrown into it uh, kind of randomly, maybe maybe divine intervention. I'm thinking God was trying to teach me something. Uh, We show up the first day and I bring my daughter into her t-ball practice. uh, And day one, uh, they don't have a coach. And I'm like, this is awesome. This is just the way that I want this season to start. Um, and so the, the guy from the representative from the organization says, hey, would, would anybody like to be a volunteer coach? And it's dead silent for like 15 seconds. Everybody's looking at each other like this. He's like, you get a free t-shirt out of it and you get awesome volunteer opportunity. It's dead silent for like 15 seconds. And finally, I'm like, ah, nobody's going to step up. I just got to go ahead and do it. And I, I volunteered. I got a good, great T-shirt and some great memories out of it. And here I was thinking, man, this is going to be great. Uh, I'm going to get to coach like the next baseball and softball legends, right? These boys and girls, right? Like the next Derek Jeter or, or the next Jenny Finch. And, and these kids were picking up everything except ground balls. They were picking their noses. They were picking flowers. I mean, we had Spider-Man, Iron Man, and Thanos all on our team. Like, there was a whole Avengers plot playing out in the middle of innings. It was awesome. My daughter ran off the field in the middle of one inning because uh, she wanted to go get water and hug mommy. Uh, and, and I looked at her shaking my head like, it'd be your own people sometimes, man. I tell you, it'd be your own people uh, one kid hit a, a solid ball down the middle, right? Like he hit a beautiful ball. It was great. And then he ran towards the ball, grabbed it, picked it up, ran to first, got himself out. <laughs> it, was, it was nuts. And listen, it, it's funny on film and it's funny like talking about it on the field, but it's not so much in real life, is it? Especially when you're the one who loses it. After those practices, thank God I never had a meltdown in the middle of practice, but I would go home feeling like I had 12 rounds with Mike Tyson, like it was just emotionally draining, right? When you're trying to teach somebody and they're not getting it. And usually when we have these kind of meltdowns, we end up hurting those that are closest to us. We get impatient and we say things or do things that trigger each other. And we actually rob each other of life as God intended it to be. And it happens so easily, doesn't it? We don't take personal responsibility for ourselves and our own emotions or reactions. We don't. It's the truth. And the fact of the matter is, 
that today what we're gonna be talking about is humbly seeking this relationship with God. Humbly seeking in a way that says, God, there's things that trigger me. There's things and reactions that I may overreact, but what do you wanna do with the pieces that I give you? So today, some of you are looking at me like, man, I'm, I'm getting triggered right now by that mustache. I got you. <laughs> it's new. It's different for you, okay? Listen, and before you try it, I've heard it all. Pablo Escobar, Mario, and Luigi, all right? Magnum P.I., I've, I've heard all of it. El Chapo Jr., okay? <laughs> Keep it coming. I don't get, I'm not getting triggered. You might be triggered. I'm not getting triggered, all right? I like to think of myself as the brown Tom Selleck right now. That's, that's what we're gonna go with. And listen, in case I have to step down and run out, it's because my, we are having a baby due any day now, right? Thursday's the due date. And so if that happens, Eric's gonna come up here, we're gonna do a switcheroo, and you're gonna pretend nothing ever happened, all right? So if you see somebody waving in the back, that means I'm having a baby and I gotta go. But hey, what we're talking about today is this. Uh, until we own up, to our negative emotional reactions, we can't be free and heal or grow from them. Admit it, listen, we, we fight the ones that we love the most, don't we? The ones that are supposed to mean the most to us, we have the least amount of grace for. I, I heard it put this way one time, when we're trying to live this thing out called faith, in the midst of life happening, it's hardest at home. One, one pastor, I was in service, and he put it so eloquently. We were talking about loving our neighbors. And he said, he told everybody, take out a piece of paper, get a pen, and I want you to write your address on it. That's where you start. And today we're talking about, about some of that. That sometimes we put our best face on in front of people and, and our behavior on the outside is all great. And then what? what? It's hardest at home. And unfortunately, I began to realize some, some of these very issues. Uh, some of it began to manifest when my wife and I first started dating towards the end of college. Um, and I'm not proud of this story, but I'm human, all right? Bear with me. My wife and I, uh, I was on a uh, college loan budget, which means I had no money, right? So we would take dates to fast food places, right? Like we'd pick up some food, we'd come and sit in the car, listen to music, talk about life, talk about how much we loved each other. On this particular day, we happened to go to McDonald's, right? I got a crispy chicken, medium fries, and an orange high C. This is important information, y'all, bear with me. I got a whole orange high C. All right, I left it in the car, this orange high C, with light ice, so I got maximum juice, you feel me? <laughs> and uh, I, I, I had to get out of the car, I had to run up to my dorm, I come back to the car, I had taken one sip of my high C. I come back to the car, go try to get a drink of my high C, there was nothing left but ice, it was, you know that? And all of a sudden I was triggered, right? Like you get into that moment, I'm like shaking. And I, and I look at uh, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, and I'm like, you drank my high C. I asked you if you wanted your own drink and you said no. And then you're gonna go take a sip of mine, not only just a sip, the whole thing. And it was this crazy argument that ensued all from an orange high C. And, and, and let me just uh, kind of fast forward. I, I, I kind of look back and I'm, I was definitely sorry about it, right? But I feel a little justified because now you go to McDonald's and they don't carry orange high C. So put it there. <laughs> who was right, who was wrong, I'll let you determine that. 
I told my friends about it uh, at the time and they, they, you know, they were following Jesus and we were talking about it and I was talking about how mad I got and they just started busting out laughing. They were like, dude, are you serious? Over sugar water? Like that's what you got mad over? And it, what's, what's great about that is this, is being in community, man, has helped us tremendously, my wife and I, especially when we're talking about these things called triggered, where you can bounce ideas off people of faith and talk about things and just be real. That's why we say this is no perfect people allowed, that you don't have to pretend. That's why we talk about things like starting gate. That's why we talk about uh, serving and jumping into community and different things like our gateway U classes and our recovery and our 12 steps, all things to help you live out this thing called faith in community. And moments when you get triggered to dialogue and talk about it with people so they can help you see you might be being a little ridiculous, as in my case. Listen, God designed us to live in healthy community and to have healthy relationships. Jesus put it this way. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full in John 10, 10. The thief is Satan and evil in this world that manipulates wounded people to react and to wound others and the cycle of hurt continues on. So unless we turn to the one who came to lead us in abundant life, we won't know how to deal with these issues and these things that continue triggering us. So last week we talked about how triggering or being triggered is an intense emotional reaction. Really an overreaction is what we called it. It could be anger or or, or, uh, panic or anxiety, an intense fear or dismay, a sinking, hopeless feeling, desperation, And it's caused by the reminder of maybe an emotional memory that was painful, a wound often toned to us, a lie or a half-truth, if you will. The trigger could be related to something very traumatic or even a suppressed memory. Maybe it was something said or a place or a person or a circumstance that triggers this, this suppressed memory in your primitive brain, in your limbic system, which we talked about last week. That's where memories get stored in the limbic system. But a trigger doesn't even have to be from severe trauma. It can be from a a painful emotional memory, like a past divorce or a betrayal or a friend who said they would be there and turn their backs on you. A painful season where something said or something done triggers those past memories and feelings and it comes welling up in us like a volcano and you react or really you over react. It's an overreaction. When, when this thing takes over, it's almost always hurts our relationships and hurts the people around us. And listen, hear me if you don't hear anything else today. You don't have to be a prey to your automatic responses or reactions. But you also don't want them to go away because they protect us in some ways. But we want less frequent bubbling up and overreactions and explosive moments like the one you saw Will Ferrell get into. So recall, or maybe go watch it. I, I just wanna just reinforce that. If you weren't here last week, go back and watch it. Uh, all of our messages are on gatewaychurch.com. You, they're archived. You can watch it or watch it on your app or go to Eric's website at, at ericbryant.org and you can see them or listen to them there as well. But we talked about this. We said this, that the limbic brain and the amygdala store emotional memories and control auto responses designed to protect us. It's that fight or flight mode, Right? You see the picture behind me. It's, it's the amygdala, right? The, in the limbic system, it takes and it stores emotionally charged memories like fear or anger responses. And here's the thing. The limbic system is 50 times faster than the neocortex. We talked about that last week. And what is the neocortex? It's the outer layer of the brain where rational thinking and relational functioning happens. And it's a lot slower than the limbic system. Uh, put, it, put it in layman's terms, sometimes we react with our emotions because our rational thinking is a lot slower. 
and it's harder to cultivate those, those rhythms. So if your amygdala has unhealed, emotionally charged memories around something that keeps triggering you, it's gonna cause this hyperreaction, this overreaction, like yelling over sugar water that turns orange in your car. You've experienced this before with your spouse, with your significant other or a boss or a coworker or an employee, somebody that has this emotional overreaction and you're looking at them like, man, that's way over the top. And it doesn't fit the circumstance. It almost, uh, it's almost certainly always the amygdala hijacking the brain and hijacking the neocortex, right? It could be your wife in frustration when she says, you never do what I ask you to do, right? I wanna parenthetically pause. One thing my wife and I have learned is to never use the words never and always, right? You never do this. You're always doing this because it invalidates all those little moments when they do the exact opposite and they harness some good things in the relationship. Try to avoid those words. But it could be somebody, your spouse saying, you never do what I ask you to do. And it triggers this unhealed memory of maybe your dad's angry outburst, right? When you didn't live up to those perfect expectations and standards. And he'd say something like, you're not going to amount to anything if you keep this up. And into that wound came a lie. And that lie could have been you're worthless unless you perform up to standard. And before you can think, this overreaction, it shut down the rational part of your brain and it floods you with chemicals and hormones for fight or flight. But listen, it, it has imperfect data. It doesn't have all the figures. It's this overconfidence that we react so confidently that we're never wrong. You're sure you're right. And we get aggressive. And none of this helps us with our relationships. Triggering is destructive to our relationships. And last week, John uh, Burke, our senior pastor, he gave us this assignment to reflect and write about uh, this. Where are you likely to be triggered? Understanding the story of what triggers you is important. And we talked about where are those moments? When are those scenarios where we overreact? And I hope you got a chance to do that. And maybe if you're thinking, well, I don't really overreact, just ask the people around you, right? Ask the people at your house, ask the people closest to you, where are the moments that I overreact so that you can invite God into those situations and allow his healing to come in? I guarantee the people around you will know more when you tend to overreact than you do. The scripture tells us this, you can't heal a wound by saying it's not there. Jeremiah 6, 14, you can't heal a wound by saying it's not there. See, denial just keeps the wound festering. It keeps the problem persisting like a vicious cycle. Instead of taking responsibility for our emotional overreactions, we more often blame. You caused this reaction, right? We blame the people around us or we defend. I have every right to feel this way. I have every right to feel this way. Or, or we argue our case and we attack, Right? Well, let me tell you a little something about you, right? Have you been there? If I'm being honest, I, I tend to, out of the three of those, I tend to attack, right? I, I don't know if it's because I, I, I uh, grew up in a house with three brothers, right? And I had to eat like this so nobody would take my food, right? And, or, or growing up hood adjacent in the D.C. area, I say hood adjacent, that may be a new term to you, right? Like we grew up at first in the hood and then we moved out of the hood, but you could still see the hood from where we live. So it was hood adjacent, you know what I'm saying? Um, 
and kind of growing up in that mentality and growing up in a high school where you had to come with two things. You had to come with jokes and you had to come learn ready to fight if somebody wanted to fight, right? Like if somebody was ready to roast you, you were, you were in that roasting session, right? Or if somebody said something the wrong way, you were ready to fight them, right? That was the kind of environment. So I don't know if that kind of brought some of this stuff out. Just the other day, um, my wife, she said this in the nicest way possible. If, I don't even know if you can say this really nice, but she said it in like the most beautiful, loving, if you know my wife, Emma, in the most loving Emma way, she was just like, in short words, Ricky, your breath stinks today. Excuse me, right? And all, all, and all of a sudden, instead of like, oh my gosh, I need to brush my teeth, I was like, oh, have you smelled your breath? Girl, you need to go get some mouthwash right now. And I just started attacking, attacking, right? And like, not even in an aggressive, angry way, just trying to like break it down. And then all of a sudden she was like, why do you feel the need to do that? Anytime somebody says something to you, you feel the need to criticize first instead of listen. And I was like, God, <laughs> is that you, right? <laughs> we defend or we attack or we blame, but all this steals, kills, and destroys relationships and the peace and love that jo- and joy that God, God's spirit wants to bring inside of us and lead us into. And it's not dependent on our circumstances. I love this verse that that John Burke shares. He says this, that he meditates on it often when he finds himself sinking emotionally or triggered or in some kind of a dismay. And the first part might seem a little weird to you, but hear it out. It says this in Habakkuk 3, verse 17 and 19. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, Stop right there, pause, God, what? That's like the word, (laughs) there's nothing good in that. But hear the rest of it. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. Your joy, your peace, your ability to love life and feel free. It's not dependent on others or other circumstances. You don't have to blame. You don't have to defend. You don't have to attack. That's the abundant life that Jesus came to give. Greater is he that is in me than she that drank my high sea. <laughs> That's first Ricky 7-Eleven in case you're taking, <laughs> taking notes. No, but seriously, this is the gospel. This is how the gospel works. It's good news that that, that Jesus brought to help us in these times. We don't need to blame others. In Christ, you are forgiven. You are adopted. You are a son. You are a daughter in the family of God. That's something to rejoice over. Can somebody make some noise for that? Every now and again, my, my Pentecostal comes out. That, that was it. That's a little bit of it. But I heard we got some uh, Teen Challenge folk in the building who know what I'm talking about right here. Did some work with Teen Challenge back in Maryland back in the day. So I'm glad to have you guys here. But listen, we don't need to blame others. You're secure in God's family forever, period. That's how he sees you, loved, blameless in his sight when you've decided to follow Jesus. So you don't need to blame others. And if you're feeling condemned, it's, it's not God's voice that you're hearing. If you're hearing shame and guilt, that's not from God. Listen to Romans 8.1. There is no, everybody say no. no. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I love this uh, quote, this picture that I came across a while ago. 
And it says this, that religion or shame and guilt say this, I I messed up. My dad is gonna kill me. Some of us maybe grew up that way. But what Jesus says, what the gospel brings is, I messed up. I need to call my dad. Even if you sin, admit that you're wrong, turn back to God and grow from it. You have that opportunity. You don't need to defend yourself. Jesus is your greatest defense attorney. The scripture says so. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. We have an advocate who pleads our case before the father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins and not only our sins, but the sins of the world, says in 1 John 1, 8 through verse two and one. You don't need to defend yourself. You're right with the ruler of the universe. And you don't need to start accusing others. Take responsibility for your own actions or overreactions and grow from them. See evil and know that it wants to accuse you and make you accuse others. We see it in our divided world, people pointing fingers and blaming. There's no healing that's coming into it. Revelations 12, 10 says this, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. That word Satan means accuser. And it works, right? Like the enemy is so good at this just to get us to accuse each other rather than to take responsibility. And he comes to steal, kill, and destroy relationships with ease, but don't let it happen. That the gospel of Jesus is good news. You don't need to blame, defend, or accuse. You are safe with God. You are loved. You are secure. And you have nothing to fear. So you can let God heal you and grow you into the person that you were designed to be all along. So when we get triggered, we have to take responsibility for our emotional state. So let's take a deeper look into some steps that we can take. And we kind of got this outline from John last week. And week by week, we're going in and filling it in. Number one, spot the symptom early. Spot the symptoms early. The goal is to get better and better at realizing what triggers you and and to do it sooner rather than later. Once your amygdala hijacks your brain and you get flooded, uh, sometimes it can get too late. But when you feel intense emotion and, and and your muscles start to tense up, your heart may start to beat faster, your mind is racing to protect you, notice it sooner rather than later. Notice the things that trigger you before they have the ability to do that. One of the things that I've noticed that triggers me, and this is just one of many maybe, is money. Growing up in a household, middle income, and my parents maybe didn't mismanage finances and going to college in the middle of the recession when all of a sudden some vehicle of investment for college for me became $6,000 and I could only pay for one semester and had to take out loans and a lot of the money that was supposed to go to school went to paying my brother to get him out of jail, in and out of jail and fighting court cases and there was no money. And I've noticed that's a trigger whenever there's a lack or whenever there's a hit or a financial crisis, uh, I start to panic and freeze and can tend to overreact and take it out on the people that I most love. What triggers you? Notice the symptoms early. Number two, stop, de-escalate, re-engage the rational brain. First, you've got to de-escalate the amygdala and give time for your hormones to dissipate the ones that have hijacked your brain to let them flood out. And this takes two parts, de-escalating yourself and de-escalating the situation. De-escalating yourself. Listen, remember when you're feeling tri- triggered, you've never felt so right 
but you've never been so wrong. Your thinking, your rational brain, it's not in the driver's seat, right? Your limbic system, your amygdala are, your emotions are taking over. And depending on how emotionally hijacked you are, it may take 20 minutes for those hormones to kind of just flood out of the brain. So listen, go take a break. When you feel like punching that person in the face, walk away, take a breather. It's gonna look better later on. When you're in that argument with your spouse, allow each other room to take a break. This was something that I had to learn and I learned it from my wife, right? Because the words fight fair, they didn't exist growing up, right? Fight fair, those are oxymorons, right? You fight to win. But can I tell you something? You can win an argument and lose a relationship. So if you're in an argument, maybe just say, I need to take a break for 20 minutes and then we can try again. Let's both try to emotionally de-escalate right now. It's so important, especially with our, with our spouses, if you're married here. Uh, every, some, every now and again, our kids are our trigger and then we take it out on each other as, our, as spouses. And so sometimes we say, you know what? I need to go into the room and scream into a pillow for five minutes. Can you give me some space? And we allow our, ourselves time to do that, to de-escalate so that we don't take it out on the people that we most love. It's easy to say, it's not that easy to do especially if this is the way that you were raised and you've grown up to, to, to either flee an argument or to stand your ground and belittle the other person. But you've talked about, we've talked about what happens psychologically when triggered and, and we can agree on this. Whatever the situation, if you can take 20 minutes, go for a walk or just go somewhere and be alone and pray, God, I, I don't know what's going on, but you do. Can you bring healing? Can you calm me down in this scenario? Man, man I tell everybody, Uh, this in terms of uh, my relationship with my wife and raising kids, the best gift that I can give my kids so that this cycle doesn't continue is a great relationship with their mom. Jesus promised this to all of his followers. I am leaving with you a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. John 14, 27. When you want to re-engage your thinking, rational brain, ask yourself, what's going on inside of me? Number two, we said you can de-escalate the situation. If you're triggered in a relational argument, you have perspective. We said last week, if you looked at that picture of the Himalayas, right? You have one side of the story of what's happening. The other person has a different perspective. They have the second story. Remember, your truth may be accurate, but it's incomplete. You don't have their story. Their truth may be accurate, but it's incomplete as well. Only God has a third story. Anytime I'm in a counseling situation with one or more people, I always say, listen, I'm not on your side or your side. I'm on the side of truth and what's right. And understand there's always a third story being told in any argument. Uh, I don't know about you, but in my mind, I have a te- tendency, instead of to de-escalate, I tend to up-escalate, just escalate, Right? Like sometimes I'll be so deep into this, call me weird, I don't know, but anybody just let their imagination run wild with escalation sometimes? Like I'll be in the grocery store and all of a sudden I have this mind like, man, what if this fool cuts me off or he tries to take something out of me? All of a sudden I'm gonna hit him with an elbow and then a knee jab and then all of a sudden I'm gonna take him out and get out the store and stand over him like, yeah, son, this is what you, you brought this upon yourself, right? Like my mind will go there, like escalate. That might sound weird, but some of y'all do that. Some of y'all do that for real, like in traffic. 
right? I'll be so into it. Like sometimes like I'll be imagining something and like I'll twitch and Emma's like, what's going on with you? I'm like, this fool just tried to pop off at Build-A-Bear in my mind. And like, I had to let him know I ain't no sucker. She's like, that's not really happening. All right. I was like, you're right. You're right. Need to deescalate. But instead of escalating, we can deescalate a situation. This is a real-time story that happened uh, a few weeks ago. We've got staff here that can vouch for this. Uh, we had a, uh, a homeless guy come in, and on Wednesdays, we open up our church to anybody for a co-working space. And this homeless guy came in, um, and uh, he was just trying to get out of the heat. He was a little cold, a little abrasive at first, but nothing crazy. Um, one of our staff members uh, let him in. But all of a sudden, he cornered another staff member and was a little belligerent, more than belligerent. And so I was in a meeting with, a, with somebody who wanted to volunteer at the time in another room in the building. And two of our staff members, uh, Jamie and Sulinda, they came and get me and rip open the door and was like, hey, there's somebody here and he is out of control. And so we go to talk to this homeless guy, I turn the corner, I see this guy. Uh, he's an older guy, maybe in his 60s. Uh, he's got sores all over his body. He's got one leg, he's in a wheelchair. He's being belligerent with one of our staff members. And so we go in and try to just enter ourselves into the situation, uh, Jamie and myself, and, and all of us are kind of there. And all of a sudden, you know, he felt really upset because he was interrupted. And he started yelling the most obscene things you can think of. Any word you can think of, he said it twice, right? And as soon as I heard him say it once to one of our female staff members, I was like, nah, homie, you gotta go. Like, you gotta leave right now. I'm sorry, you can't stay here. And he started, he did not like that. He started yelling all types of obscene things until, and then suddenly, and I'm trying to tell him, you got to leave, trying to deescalate the situation. This guy, no joke, this is not a comedic routine. Homeless guy, older, one leg, mind you, stands up and grabs me by my shirt. <laughs> right? Grabs me by my collar. And, and he's like, I will whoop your, you fill in the blank, Right? And all of a sudden, my mind went into hood-adjacent mode, right? And like, you know when things happen so quickly, yet it's like slow motion, and all of a sudden, like, I grab his hand, and I'm like, I'm about to have to knock out an old homeless dude with one leg. And then I thought for a second, if I do that, nobody wins. That's not a good story, no matter which way you tell it, right? Even if I win this fight, it was still an old homeless dude with one leg. And, so I, and then his other hand is cocking back. And so I catch his hand, grab this hand, sat him back down in his wheelchair and said, sir, you need to leave before you die, <laughs> right? And uh, finally, he, we got him to calm down a little bit and he starts kind of rolling on the way out and he gets upset. And he's like, and another thing. I'm like, nope, you're leaving. Pot. You know, you got to roll on out, homie. And, uh, and so we were able to, with the help of the police, deescalate the situation. But that could have gone totally different. And I don't say that as a props or to make myself look good because it wasn't that great. But I say that to say, man, no situation is beyond de-escalation, I believe. You and I, we have a tendency to overreact. But understand that God helps us live freely and abundantly. That, that you have ownership over your reactions and the way that you feel and the things that you can bring into the situation. You have to say to yourself this, nobody has control over my emotions or reactions except me. Nobody has that power. Don't give anyone license to that. Other things that we can do is search for the lies and agreements and God's story and God's perspective. It's how evil works. It's in trauma or it's in things that happens to us. And we begin to believe this, these lies about ourselves. 
And evil propagates through unhealed wounds and lies or agreements and triggered reactions. And you can fill in the blanks with any number of stories, any number of lies that maybe you've believed about yourself. Maybe it's unforgiveness and bitterness in your family and things that you still haven't dealt with because of what your mom said or what your dad did or what they didn't do. And you've heard this quote before, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. So many different scenarios, but this is so important because if we're not careful, we live this vicious cycle and we pass it on to the next generation. And maybe you've said it before, I don't wanna be anything like my dad. I don't wanna be anything like my mom. And we end up making the same mistakes that they did because it's unhealed trauma, unhealed wounds that they trigger us and we bring them back up and we deliver it like this vicious gift to the people that we raise or the people we have influence over. But it can change. You can change. You can replace the lies of evil with God's truth. You can replace it with God's truth. It's never too late to be the person that you might've been. When you're triggered, it usually connects to a core need that feels threatened. I'll go through some of these core needs. Maybe you've been here before. Whenever we're triggered, sometimes it can attack one or two of these areas or maybe more. It's validation, the fact that we don't feel respected or appreciated. Maybe it's a loving connection. Maybe we had a lack of that growing up and we don't feel companionship or belonging or it's autonomy, decisions that were made for us or situations that we are thrust into can make you... You, that you can make choices by yourself. You never felt that before. And all of a sudden, when somebody says something, it, it drives you into that space again. Maybe it's value, worth, or status. Feel need that you need to strive and be somebody more than you've already been. Maybe it's safety, stability, peace. You grow up in a volatile situation. Maybe it's comfort, pleasure, fun, rest. Maybe a core need is purpose, meaning in life, because life for you growing up felt a little meaningless. What is the core need that you feel being attacked? I'll share one more verse with you. And it's John 16, 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Friends, let God heal that wound. Let him form a new habit to respond to his spirit in a loving way. It doesn't have to go in the same vicious cycle that it's always been. We can humbly seek after God to heal those wounds. Before our band comes up, I just want to share this with you. I was in a uh, uh, scenario once, and uh, I started to notice that I really got triggered by my daughter's uh, messiness. And I've got a six-year-old, I've got an almost two-year-old, and I've got a baby ready to pop out the oven. And I started to realize, uh, through the help of some friends and through the help of community like this one, that one of the things that started triggering me was my daughter's mess right? Like they can do flips off the couches. Like Emma's the safety one. I'm like, go ahead, do that flip. Like if you break something, it'll only happen once. You're going to learn the next time. You know what I mean? That's kind of more my vibe. And, um, but like messes, like pudding on the hands, you know, like chocolate everywhere or graham crackers or like, like for some reason, it just drives me up the wall. Right. And I started to do this work with God and just kind of see where it was coming from. And I remember God in one of these moments saying, why, why are you so afraid of her mess? Because I'm never afraid to get my hands dirty with you. Check, thanks God. And it was through work 
uh, similar to the 12 steps. And some of you have walked through recovery. Some of you walked through things like the 12 steps. And it was through a program similar like that where I began to understand that some of the things that I dealt with, this strive for perfection that I had as a little kid, to be the golden boy, to be the best athlete, to be the best at academics, to be the best. If anybody had an attribute, I wanted it and I wanted to be better at it then. Where it came from was this, self, this, this sense of lack of self-worth. And I was doing this work and this recovery work and trying to see where all of this was coming from. And God had healed and brought up this kind of suppressed memory that I had when I was five years old and I had a sleepover over a friend's house and was sexually abused by his older sister. I remember one day just doing this work in my private time with God because I didn't want it to continue affecting the people that I love and my kids and I didn't want this vicious cycle anymore. I remember God just giving me this beautiful picture, this vision of seeing my five-year-old self and giving him a hug and just letting him know that he's loved, that he's worthy, and that he's secure. I don't know what it looks like for you, what God wants to heal in your life, what wounds have risen up, what things, what triggers have popped up in your life. Maybe you don't even realize them yet. Maybe in this moment, he wants to reveal that. In this moment, you can stand, you can sit. Our band is gonna lead us in a song. And in this time, just say, God, what do you wanna heal? What wounds don't I even see? What things and generational things do you want to restore and bring your life and fullness and joy to once again? Because I don't wanna continue this vicious cycle of hurting the people around me. So would you just engage with the heart of God during this song.